On June 15th, we'll be honoring the fashion tech industry's best and brightest at the first ever Glossy Awards hosted by Simon Doonan. Want to join us for the party at the Angel Orsons Foundation for the Arts? Head to glossy.co slash events and use the code ILOVEGLOSSY to get $75 off your ticket. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm Glossy Senior Reporter Hilary Milnes, and with me this week is Liz Basilar, founder of Decoded Fashion and The Current. Thank you for joining us, Liz. My pleasure, Hilary. So I want to start with the two companies that I just mentioned that you founded. Um, the D- Decoded Fashion was about six years ago now in 2011. And so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and The Current was, was this year, correct, or last year? So three months ago. <laughs> wow. Absolutely brand new. Um, so I, what is especially crazy is how much the, the retail fashion technology space has changed just in that short period of time. So can you just describe what the atmosphere and the environment was like in retail back when you just, uh, started Decoded Fashion compared to when you started sure. The Current? Yeah, and and I get the question a lot about me being from fashion. And I think the answer to that question really paints a picture of what it looked like in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, There was nothing like fashion and tech around. When you utter those words back then, it meant maybe LED lights, something (laughs) like that. Not an industry as we see it today. Uh, I was a journalist. Uh, I was a journalist for 10 years, um, NBC News, CBS News. Um, Emmy nominated covering Obama and kind of bothered by how technology was really permeating into in different industries and fashion didn't seem to really follow mm-hmm. stubbornly in retail <laughs> I had a lot of friends in that in, in in those verticals and I was wondering when it would happen and then I realized there was such a hunger from the tech side to play with that side uh, they were even building fashion apps and they were all showing to me uh, they were all pink mm-hmm. right because <laughs> girls like pink so fashion needs to be pink right of course <laughs> <laughs> and they're all very stupid and and, and and done by people who were very smart. So the problem for me was very clear. We have brilliant people who are able to build solutions to problems that they don't know what should be. Mm-hmm. So if the right problems are faced, if they are faced the right problems, if we put the stakeholders in the room with these builders, incredible things will come out of it. So I took upon myself uh, the role of um, catalyst. Mm-hmm. So instead of following the story, I wanted that story to exist. Right. right, so it was a completely biased stance <laughs> to take. So I quit my uh, role as as a journalist and storyteller, and I started building that story. And when I called designers back then, many said no. They felt very insulting for me to be invited them to be sitting next to a startup founder on stage. It's the meaning. Oh, interesting. I know. Uh, many said yes. Like Nicole Miller said yes. Of course, Rebecca Minkoff said yes. Um, Calvin Klein said yes, mm-hmm. um, and Kate Spade with Deborah said yes. So I, I, oh, I have to say Stacey, Allison, Olivia as well. Those are brands that you know. They're still alive and well. They've done some incredible digital initiatives, or they are defined by digital, and they were fearless way back then. Right, and so you think they're they're willing to participate at that time, kind of set the, the, the stage. Right. 
for what they were going to go on to do. And so what were they doing at the time? Brands like uh, Rebecca Minkoff, who now, you know, they're testing things like self-checkout and, and smart fitting rooms. Yeah, he everything. Tri- he tries everything. <laughs> right. And it's my job to bring him anything that right. I find that's cool for him, for right. him to try. Um, so... I think back then when I think of Minkoff, right? So Rebecca, just like Sophia Webster in the UK um, today, she took a different path. Instead of going the agency side, she decided to go her own way, uh, straight to consumer, had develop a voice on social media, be the first in each one, each platform, and it worked. And she was often tweeting herself, posting herself, which she can't do today. She just doesn't have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's still very much involved. So that paid off for her, and the industry watched that, watch her do that in this belief that that would work, and it did work. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they were pouring out dollars in magazine pages and billboards, right? She was doing twitter right <laughs> and then instagram and it worked and and with um with the others like with kate spade they experimented a lot in store um they really stayed with understanding who the kate spade girl is mm-hmm. woman and following the mindset the digital mindset that we all developed right i remember the first time i realized wasn't that long ago maybe three years ago that all my holiday purchases were on my phone mm. So they were watching, and, and we went through a lot of phases ourselves, like an exponential growth as consumers, Right. and these brands watched us closely. Right, and I think that's so interesting because, you know, when we talk about fashion tech, it can be anything from how a brand's social media presence plays out to how, you know, they execute mobile commerce, and how do you you know, consolidate that into, into one mindset, into one event, into one strategy for the brands that you work with? I think uh, it's very important to, when you see, for instance, when you see Rebecca Minkoff's mirrors that made them so famous around the world, right? The takeaway is not, let me get a mirror for my store. Mm -hmm. The takeaway is what fit my strategy. A good example, when I mentioned Yuri, I like to mention another friend, William from All Saints, right? The CEO of All Saints. William's also very daring and he considers All Saints uh, a digital brand but he is not fond of technology that you can see. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see the mirrors in all Saints stores while he's alive and there. Right. <laughs> but you're going to see a lot of back-end tech. You're going to see all Saints operating much faster. You're going to see all Saints operating much smarter. They they create their own RFID tags um, and, and back-end systems like themselves. They hired 100 developers to create that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are different things that work. What's not okay is not to do anything. And there are so many brands today that don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of free money on the table. And I call it free money, like things that if you give a startup a chance, um, revenue would just appear like a simple example. It's not the most important, but it's a simple to understand example. It's fraud. About 3% fraud, it's it's pretty normal for a luxury brand to have or a regular brand to have right. on e-commerce purchases. Um, if you sell to China or Brazil, it's even worse, right? There's a lot of credit card uh, fraud in these countries. So if you put an algorithm, there are many startups that do that really well today in your website, Mm -hmm. and you let it run for a month, you have zero fraud. So imagine 3% of whatever is your annual revenue right there in your budget. (laughs) This is just a simple example of many other things that technologies can create today, efficiencies, new opportunities. And if you're a designer, I was talking to Misha Nuno mm-hmm. the other day, who I love, and Misha is really pushing the boundary now and recreating her brand as much more digital. Um, and, and and asking, like, you need to think of yourself as a startup. She's raising like a startup. She's creating decks like a startup. Mm-hmm. And the, the lines have been blurred now. Absolutely. And I think that 
you know, fashion tech as a, as a company, you have these companies who say like, oh, we, we like to think of ourselves as a technology company that, um, you know, specializes in fashion or even vice versa. Uh, do you think that that definition has become convoluted? I think right now, you know, when you think of like the, the quintessential fashion tech company, you think of something like a Farfetch, which is, you know, trying to build an operating system for in-store or a Stitch Fix, um, which is, you know, about to become a billion dollar company. Uh, you know, how much is it a fashion company or is it a tech company? And, and has that definition evolved over the past five years that you've seen? Yeah, I, I love this question. I want to tell all the listeners that I love this podcast because Hillary just goes with the flow. There's no prepping and this is just flowing. There <laughs> was is. no prepping no. here. I had no idea what you're going to ask me. Um, listen, the reason why uh, fashion tech is changing is the reason why I decided to change myself. Um, I left Dakota Fashion last year. It was the first fashion tech event in the world. And after the acquisition, I realized that the minds have shifted, shifted, the hearts have shifted. There's still a place for conferences out there, but it's different. And now the, what makes their hearts beat faster, it's small environments, smaller mm-hmm. conversations that yield to action. Mm-hmm. And I love the action part. My favorite memories of my uh, work at Dakota Fashion were the um, integrations that I was able to pull off, the Kate Spade of a purse bag, being able to be there, many things that Yuri Minkoff has done for, Ming, uh, for Rebecca Minkoff. Mm-hmm. Um, the hackathon at All Saints, the Westfield hackathon in, in, in Shepherd's Bush in London, like, to be able to bring startups to a room where they were never invited to. Um, and now next month, I mean, this month, um, June 12, in London, the British Fashion Council, they, they have this innovation forum that no one knows of because no one gets invited. It's for their top members, all the top luxury brands in London, and startups have never been invited. We partnered with them as the current, and we invited 10 companies we believe in, young companies. Mm-hmm. and they're going to cut deals that day and, and that gets me really excited so the answer to your question is the talk of town today is open innovation mm-hmm. is you recognizing that there are boundaries to what you can do you cannot be a tech company you should be a digitally minded company right, right. even with all saints with their 100 um, engineers they are not all in house some of them are in Portugal mm-hmm. right um, through a partner. So to be able to create partnerships, to be able to accelerate yourself through leveraging technology, third parties, that's the way to go. Open yourself a bit um, and and co-create. Absolutely. And I think that raises a great point um, because for a, a, a retail company, whether you're you know a digitally native company like a Rent the Runway or a traditionally uh, you know wholesale retail company like a Michael Kors, they're being at come at by all angles from these vendors and these technology solutions that are saying, we can do this for you, we can do this for you, we're the best because of why, and like, how do you even manage like all of the, how do you know what's actually going to be the best? And then they're met with the decision fatigue and they, they you feel like there's constant questioning of like, what's the best third party uh, solution that I can work with? And so is, so what you're saying is you're trying to help yeah, them make and, that and decision. that was the idea for the current. And then I reached out that this is incredible, another thing that no one has ever heard of, this incredible place. It's like a fairy tale land called H-Farm in Venice. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, Venice and technology, but <laughs> let me tell you, that's the Silicon Valley of Italy. I know you don't believe me. You're all invited to come. Come <laughs> to H-Farm. We have a hotel across the street and it's ours. Nice. I'll come take your word by. for it, yeah. <laughs> um, and there I found what was incredibly inspiring to me. I found Luxotica. I found Diesel. It's actually an investment of Diesel H-Farm. This beautiful campus of 500 people and these glass pods where 100 startups were born and 
a lot of ideas are from mm -hmm. and they are fueled by open innovation all the italian brands they collaborate via each farm it's like the heart that pumps all that tech in italy but they're super italian no one has ever heard of them outside right. italy they only speak italian so i wanted to be inspired by that and bring those ideas uh to the us and and to the uk and that's what the current is is a way to connect everybody in this ecosystem it's an ecosystem mm -hmm. for fashion beauty Right. You know, so, so do you think it's a, a more realistic or a smarter decision to sort of say, hey, as a fashion retailer, maybe I kind of slept on on this a little bit um, and now I'm, I'm playing catch up. Is it smarter for them to outsource that um, that the technology tools and, and the advancements there to the th to the third party? Or, you know, we're also seeing the rise of an in-house team, um, you know, especially, you know, it comes down to resources, but big companies buying up startups and sort of, yep. you know, absorbing that that tech um, entrepreneur mindset. It's, uh, a, it's a dance. And, and it's for you. First of all, you need to be able to set your strategy. I never wanted to do digital transformation. Like, so go inside a brand and say, I'm going to make you digital now mm -hmm. and, and take that. Uh, that task is a whole different methodology. I think brands need to be able to determine their goals, mm -hmm. right? I cannot determine your goals for you. Uh, once you say, okay, it's in store, it's traffic, or it's online, whatever that is, um, I think they struggle in knowing the how. Mm -hmm. And even when I see stories, um, WWD, uh, I don't see a lot of how, and I definitely don't see the why. Uh, it's always missing. So I think the third party is fantastic for the how and the why we should do it. Like, where is the ROI promise here? There's a lot of tension. If you think about it, the CMOs that take risks, when they pitch a, a daring idea, it's it's their tush on the line here. And right. that's why they hold back, especially when you're in luxury. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. Uh, when you're in Italy and, and it's brands run by families, they're still around, it's all very difficult. Or when you are a brand that's very big, but I think of Wang and Posen, they were very small operations mm -hmm. when I met them. Uh, I remember Posen was like five, six people. Oh, wow. Uh, and Zach Posen I'm referring to. So some of the brands that you love, they're actually very small operations of mm -hmm. 13 people. Right. And they have very tight budgets, so they can they can dream a little. So when they dream, it needs to work. Mm -hmm. So whoever was the person in the room that pitched that idea, they'll be in trouble if it doesn't work. So that tension holds back innovation. Absolutely. That's why that third part is important. Someone else to blame. Right. <laughs> and someone else, most importantly, someone else to guarantee the path to success. Like I've seen this before. This is how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially when you're a small team, it's kind of like almost paralyzing when you think about I mean in this conversation already we've talked about social media and in-store fitting room technology yep. and you know algorithms that prevent fraud and so you know, how do you decide which to tackle first it, it depends what kind of brand you are I I there are things I'm really passionate about right now and it changes every year actually changes every six months <laughs> um it's tech so I'm fickle right so I right now I I love the efficiencies um, of course, I'm, I'm biased. I love the efficiencies of a fitting room because it's so frustrating for me and I don't have time to waste. And it's always difficult right. to get the things I want within the time that I have. So I give up a lot. I'm, I'm a huge example of shopping cart abandonment at the fitting room. I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. Forget it. Right. Um, so I, I like brands that tackle that. Um, and for brands that have a lot of uh, um, clients, Customers in my age group or in my, with my mindset, which is more important, the age group, with the digital mindset, they mm -hmm. need to look into that. Uh, when they skew a little older, maybe it's not right. so much of an issue. Too much focus on millennials. I know. No, yeah. I see. You Will I Am was the one that, for me, was the ultimate philosopher of this topic. I was with him in London, and I was kind of bitching about how I was getting older. And he said, listen, Liz, 
It's not about you being a millennial. It's about you being a screenager. I'm like, yes, I'm a screenager. <laughs> That's what I am. Wow. So, I, who knew? I didn't know he coined that term. <laughs> yes, he, he claims he did. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, another thing I'm passionate about is goes back to 2013. I met uh, Franco Cesani, who, who we lost um, recently, editor-in-chief of Vogue Italia. And on stage, I had the pleasure of interviewing her, and the wearables revolution was all over the place. And I asked her, Franca, I hate his name, wearables. He's just so not elegant. Can we just come up with something right now? You're like the goddess of creativity. Mm -hmm. Come up with a name right now on stage, and <laughs> on we just coined this. And she answered, she said, Liz, um, it's already been created. It's called fashion. So I feel that the Franca's vision for wearable technology has happened this year with the Levi's jacket. Mm -hmm. It was the first piece of wearable technology that's just closed. Right, and that's their partnership with Google. Exactly, with Jacquard. So I'm, I'm very passionate about clothes and accessories with function that look like what they should look. Mm -hmm. Have you worn that jacket? I tried it. It is it something nice. is it did it have that like okay i actually i need this and it's going to replace my regular jacket for xyz i think we we are still even in that uh with a, a product that's so well designed like that we still have the challenge of the the eye watch right so the apple watch you put the watch on your wrist and then six months later is it still there Right. No, I don't. I have a regular old watch on. <laughs> <I know. laughs> my my watch, my my smart watch is on my shelf. Mm -hmm. um, so it just launched. So let's mm -hmm. see. Right. I think it's a six months test. Is, is the ultimate test right and for we, stickiness. we definitely hear a lot about you know the future of, of the wearable is in the fabric of, of the clothing rather than something that you attach to yourself yeah 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 for sure there was a, i judged the parsons uh, innovation award this year and there was a student that created a jacket in which uh food could grow on it mm -hmm. um and i thought though it was very beautiful because he wasn't thinking about solving world world's hunger with you know self-feeding garments <laughs> he he was giving a vision of sustainability that i thought was very poetic right i think fabric innovation is on fire right now there's a lot of cool stuff to watch mm -hmm. um you're going to be seeing a lot in the um, in the lingerie department next year um that will actually be useful things that i'm looking forward to as a woman that it's useful for my health is use, useful for me as a, as a mother it's it's, it's pretty nice to see things here in the market today that are useful. Right. And the last thing Hillary, it's the one that it's the least sexy. Mm -hmm. I love the, the back-end tech because that, that kind of tech, it, it's, it means the survival of all the brands that we love, the designers that we love being able to not close shop, which means how do they run their businesses. It means you're going to a, a store and they, them not having your size and them knowing what your size is, if mm -hmm. it's online, which, where do I, how do I get it? Right. Um, a lot of people don't know that the online uh, product list and the in-store product clicks, they are separate. They can't even see each other sometimes. They don't see each other. And it's separate operations. E-commerce departments not integrated with in-store. And for consumer, it's hard to understand because it's so like, duh. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, brands need to tackle that. Right. And, and, and I love when they do it. Right. And that seems to be what Farfetch is trying to do on the, on the mass scale. And we actually had... Um, Jeff Fowler from Farfetch, I think in our last episode, and, and he was saying like, if, if we can pull this off, like this is a way for small boutiques, small brands to compete with Amazon without having to sell their souls to Amazon. Uh, you know, how do you see brands? Are, how are they dealing with, with Amazon? Because not only is e-commerce cannibalizing the, the traffic that they used to get in stores, it's not like, okay, well, we'll just sell online instead and that'll make up for it. No, people are shopping on Amazon instead of their brand online now. And so 
is there is there a solution to this or are we all just going to eventually buy our our luxury clothing from an amazon platform i had a a nice chat with a very senior person at amazon about this uh which was so great it was late at night he was not guarded and he gave me a lot of hope uh when you go to amazon to shop and i don't know if you've been there to shop hillary and not knowing what you want has that happened to you Yes, and it feels like a black hole. Exactly. So if you don't know what you're looking for at Amazon, you're pretty much fucked. <laughs> and you have to go there, knowing what it is, you search, you find, you do the price comparison, and then you, you opt for convenience. Mm-hmm. And usually, ultimately, that's what people are going for Amazon for, convenience on that one thing that they want. Right. What Amazon cannot give you is discovery and delight, right? So the reason why we love going to a store, the reason why we love publications, the reason why we like, the reason why Glossy exists mm-hmm. is inspiration right? Um, I don't come to Glossy to find out about things I already know, right? Right. So Amazon does not have inspiration. And they tried to do that in many ways, and they failed. Mm -hmm. So that's our hope. Right. (laughs) So what brands need to tackle then, it's the convenience and the fulfillment, right? right? So how can you help me find things that I already know and how can you make these things known? Mm -hmm. And brands don't take convenience seriously. Mm -hmm. So especially in Europe. Right, and, and I think it's one of the least exciting um, parts of fashion tech to talk about, which is free returns, uh, buy online, pick up in store, uh, same day delivery, like those types of things that it's like kind of a snooze fest because already the customer is like, yeah, duh, it's like the same thing as like you walk into the store, it's like, why isn't this easy? Why isn't this online? Um, you know what I love? I love when, um, and I see some retailers have done that, let's not name names, uh, that have the click and collect, which mm-hmm. is such a great idea for moms, right? I'm a mom of two girls and I love shopping. So please just let me get my stuff. Yeah. Pay for it. <laughs> Don't let um, me take the kid out of the car seat. And just watch it. Watch what brands are doing. Like click and collect is usually all the way in the back of the store. So I just went to you for convenience to save me time. And mm-hmm. it's like, I have to walk miles and to get think, my package. No one's around. Yeah, they think that they're tricking you into being like, okay, well, now I'm here. I guess I'll buy. And well, now you're just annoyed. <laughs> annoyed. It's a horrible experience. So Amazon does not take that for granted. And they sell inconvenience mm-hmm. with the with the, um, with the bookstores now coming. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I haven't seen yet. There was a lot of chatter. There was a project that almost came to life uh, this year, but it, it, it did not. I think that what's going to be really cool for emerging designers and mid-size uh, brands is these environments. They are like shopping centers, but the new shopping centers. They are, um, imagine like story, right? But mm-hmm. but it's not products on the wall, it's actually mini shops. Right. It's, it's a collection of pop-up stores happening simultaneously, all sharing a database, all sharing marketing initiatives, same POS system. Mm-hmm. How cool would that be? Right. I, I want to shop there. Right. <laughs> and we're, you know, obviously we look a lot at the death of the of the mall, the traditional mall, the death of regular retail. You know, even just today, Michael Kors has announced that it's closing a hundred stores, and in its place, you know, retailers are now saying, you know, I can't open up any more stores, not with a twenty year lease, like it's usually announced, but like now it's the pop up. And do you think that this is the the solve for for in store retail, which is this flexible? Uh, you can really tailor it, make it an experience, and then it, and then it goes away. So you have that limited availability um, rush for foot traffic, or is it just kind of a, like a band aid? <laughs> I, I think that it's a conversation. Like for this industry to really see the light of day, it's a conversation between pop- property owners and the brands, right? So the big three: GGP, Westfield, Simon, um, really close to, to these three, um, and I know their troubles. I'm, I'm waiting for the day that they recognize that it's part of their duty to help the brands figure this out. 
help them give them solutions, serve as platforms for solutions for them to create experiences, to create traffic, to create marketing. Right. And and you don't see that done well. Another thing that I don't see that done well is a, a real outreach for pure plays, like for the guys that are online and mm-hmm. girls that are born online to play with physical space. Mm-hmm. Because Bonobos, Bonobos was the one who said it first. Uh, Andy, he was at Dakota Fashion in 2012. First keynote I ever had was him and Dave Karp. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said... Uh, that he realized after saying for a couple years that the Bonobos was the best e-commerce experience, uh, the best experience, shopping experience. You don't need physical stores anymore. Just shop online with the ninjas. He changed his mind and said, actually, there is no perfect shopping experience without a store. Right. And then it was the beginning of the Bonobos store. Mm-hmm. And the show, the showroom idea. The showroom idea and then stores, stores. So uh, I think that's a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everything that's tech, I don't care if it's Casper, whatever that is, should be reached out as a partner for traffic, especially the sexy brands. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of following. If I am a property owner, I would be reaching out to them to come to my mall. Right. Yeah, come to the mall. Right. Jazz it up uh, in the the halls of the mall. Make it a festival. Make a, I don't know, like that roller coaster the top shop has going on right now. Right. That should be on the mall. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, you know, as we're looking back at the the beginning of Dakota Fashion, how you you mentioned brands were so hesitant to, you know, participate and sort of equate themselves to a tech founder. Uh, Do you think that's, that's, gone away entirely is it is it starting to and do you think that fashion brands are paying today for that for that hesitancy <laughs> yeah it flipped mm-hmm. uh we are the like the tech folks are the the cool kids now oh yeah um sometimes we are the influencers mm-hmm. uh and and i see once again not naming names some of my tech divas turning down the fashion invite saying no, no, don't want it. Yeah, not even messing with that <laughs> pile. <laughs> so it flips. Um, there is no right or wrong here. And, and I'm, I'm heading to, um, there's a big, um, the largest tech event in Paris is called Viva Tech. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the fashion stage there. And I'm just delighted to see the merger. Like there is really a merger of top brands with startups. The walls are broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, the barriers are broken. Now it's really about everyone stopped talking about it so much about innovation right and show me what you've done right that's it and show me what you're what you're about to do so if you are a brand right now who's spoken at a conference lately or has conferences that you're speaking at i want you to think about what are you actually doing about innovation right to and serve your client your customers better yeah and it also shouldn't exist in a vacuum it can't be like a one-off oh here's this cool innovative thing we did in one store the press right? right you need to do it for your business not mm-hmm. just for press anymore and and even incubators right mm-hmm. incubators they're lovely but it's not working out that's why i'm really a huge voice for open innovation that's going to be the thing i'm going to keep saying i i i babbled fashion tech nonstop for five years right <laughs> now i'm going to be open innovation open innovation right what's what's what what's wrong with the, in, the incubator because it's inside so mm-hmm. you become part of the problem right um there was a secret project that i did i'm not able to disclose uh, the brand but it's one of the largest brands in the world mm-hmm. and it was one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And it was a hackathon in this fashion brand. And it was incredible to see how it was executives from the brand and guest entrepreneurs that we invited together. Mm-hmm. I've never seen something like this, Hillary. They sat together, they got mixed, no one knew who was who at first. And one, this one team that I watched closely had the highest ranking officer of that brand sitting like a tech guy, just mm-hmm. just chilling in the team. There were two, two tech people and one junior person from that brand. And they were brainstorming a solution. 
no one cared about being respectful to him because he was senior. They were just thinking about the mission. The mission is, this is the challenge. Let's build a solution for this brand. That's an environment of technology, mm-hmm. of, of, of disruption, of courage, of creativity. That's not how fashion brands work. So to create moments like that, are really fruitful for brands. Right. Then you can revert back to the structures, the hierarchies, but it changed the company. You could see how there was an energy in the room right. that went all the way up to the CEO. Mm-hmm. So it sticks. It sticks. It Just that's, because that's of the culture. That's way to do culture. Mm-hmm. Hang out with that with the other side. Allow them in. That's how you change culture instead of sending a memo to your employees saying, we are tech now. Right. It's definitely top down. <laughs> that's something that, that comes up a lot. Um, so we're almost out of time, but last question. Um, what What keeps you up at night? Oh my gosh, what keeps me up at night is the fear that the industry would not be able to find courage to innovate and overcome the challenges. It's it's an industry that I've learned to love. I don't come from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the brands uh, that I work with. I love the, the retailers I shop at. I want to see a world in which technology and retail coexist. I don't want to see a world in everything is online and people don't. Um, don't mingle anymore. There is no experiences anymore. It's all right. virtual. VR makes me scared. Oh. I love AR. Yeah, I love AR because it's reality. Right. Well, at least right now, <laughs> VR. No one. No one seems to be tackling that in the, on the large scale yet. <laughs> so it's okay for off. a roller coaster, yeah. but don't tell me to shop in a VR store. I'm not interested. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Liz. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on iTunes and Stitcher and leave us any feedback you have.